Hey, it's Doug Bursch, and you're listening to Fairly Spiritual. Uh, when it comes to American capitalism, dissatisfaction sells. We create a need, or we see a need, where people are dissatisfied, and we tell them, we'll solve that dissatisfaction with this answer. We create needs, we create dissatisfaction, we create the hate of self and the hate of our own situation. When it comes to the church, we have a whole culture of church hate, selling church hate to make a buck. We'll talk about that on today's show. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through, but you've spoken. Welcome to Fairly Spiritual. I am Doug Bursch, and I'm so glad you're listening. Uh, well, I'm going to talk about church hate today and uh, how uh, the publishing industry, conference industry, Christian min- ministry industry makes money off of church hate. Uh, now, just up front, going to put a few qualifiers out there, because when you say something like this, people might assume that I'm trying to keep people from criticizing or assessing the church. Uh, one, I just have to say, if you follow the ministry that I do, the podcast that I produce, the things I've written, the book I've written, uh, I clearly believe that assessment has a strong, valuable role. I believe that we should look at the sins, the faults, the failings in the church within ourselves, that in fact we should look at the plank in our own eye before we look at uh, you know, the specks in other people's eyes. I'm certainly not doing today's show to say, ah, we just shouldn't look at anything wrong in anyone's life and just pretend everything's great and just you know, move ahead without any criticism or complaints. But I am going to address something that I see as a fundamental, not just problem, but a fundamental reality that is motivating much of the Christian conversation, or much of just Christian ministry or the Christian industry in America, and that is the principle of church hate. There is an entire industry that is built upon what is wrong with the church. Selling books, um, selling conferences, selling products based on there's something fundamentally wrong with you as a pastor, there's something fundamentally wrong with your church, there's something fundamentally wrong with your denomination, and uh, let me sell you something, let me um, you know, create a product, a podcast, an article, whatever it is, in order to fix that. There are well-known authors and bloggers and speakers who have made their entire living off of just uh, talking about what's wrong with the church. There is an entire industry. There are entire conferences, entire groups of people, movements that are just a reaction against what is wrong with the church. They are reactionary 
and they are basically assessment cultures. Now, I'm going to speak in big generalities, so if you think I'm just attacking you or specifically trying to do some sort of subtweet podcast, uh, forgive me, I'm not trying to do that, but I do want to talk about a general trend and some of the weaknesses with that. In my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor, I go into this in the chapter, What is Wrong with the Church? And I want to read from the book and give you my heart on one of the problems I see with being motivated in this way, that instead of us moving forward with what has God called us to do, we have become in many ways an assessment culture, a spectator culture, a culture where we're sitting in the grandstands and we're assessing those who are doing the work of the ministry. In fact, I look at it as fewer people are actually forming churches, becoming pastors, actively involving themselves in the work of the ministry, and more people are assessing the work of those pastors and the work of those leaders. I, I don't necessarily see as much as I think there was in the past people who are willing to assess and also form community at the same time. We know that Jesus, even as he was tearing down certain unjust structures, he was also building a new structure, right? He was forming community as he was assessing community. And this is a big thing. This is not a little thing, and it's something I would challenge anyone with. I, I think the integrity of our message is rooted in our ability to model healthy examples. We can't just be people who point out unhealthy examples. We must also be people who model healthy examples. So Jesus can talk about what's wrong with the existing corrupt structures uh, of the church or of the temple, but at the same time, he has disciples with him, and he's modeling this is how we're supposed to connect. This is how we're supposed to operate. Or he's doing ministry with gathering people together and feeding the 5,000 and ministering to the sick. He's doing positive things. He's doing, so he's not just turning over tables in the temple and saying, this is how you shouldn't do things. He's also then in the fields, in places where the poor and the vulnerable and the sick and the weak are, he's actually doing the positive example. The reason we can look at his ministry of turning over tables in, in the right context is we can also see where he is not just turning over tables, but he's setting a table where people can come and eat and be ministered to. I, I think about one of the most extreme examples would be uh, John the Baptist. Uh, I, I've had people, you know, this hasn't happened much, but um, you'll get this kind of strong, harsh email. I got this as a radio host, a strong, harsh email, or even as a pastor, someone would send a letter to my church upset about something I'd done, didn't know me, just some, then they would guise it in the term of being prophetic, and they'd say, you know, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness, and they'd compare themselves to John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist, I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Well, one of the things to realize is John the Baptist, John had disciples. So even though John was pretty weird, you know, uh, kind of living in this weird state and, uh, you know, eating weird food and dressing in a weird way, he still was building a community, and even though he was speaking against the corruption of the time, he had disciples, so he still was building something, and people actually went out into the wilderness to be baptized by John. So he had a message where people still came to listen and to respond. That's very different than someone who's sitting at home 
and tweeting out their criticisms of other people, but building nothing. That's not building a community. And I know that hurts people and they feel judged in that. But honestly, if you're just assessing other people's work, but you're doing that in isolation where you are not authentically building any community, and I mean you're not regularly meeting with anyone, regularly, you know, at least there's like two or three or four or five people, and not just people that left the megachurch with you, but people who are weak, people who are vulnerable, people, you know, you don't like how that one church ministers to the poor. Well, how are you ministering to the poor? Uh, you don't like how that group is dealing with racial, uh, you know, relationships. How are you dealing with that? For me, the context would be this. I better be very careful about how I criticize how other people are dealing with racial reconciliation if I myself am not involved in that process in my own ministry. Or at least the way I speak, I better speak in a way that's pretty gracious if I need a bit of grace myself in the way that I'm expressing that. And if I'm going to critique how people are gathering together as a body, then I must have an expression as well. You know, it, it, it is not, it, it's not hard to gather together momentarily with people for a crusade. It's not hard to gather together for a parade and to march for something. That's not a hard thing to do. But it's extremely hard to gather with people for a prolonged period of time. In fact, the hardest relationships are relationships that you do for a long period of time. That's why people don't stay married. That's why families struggle and, and parents struggle when their kids get older and kids don't necessarily talk to mom and dad and, and brothers and sisters sometimes have a difficult time talking to each other once they become adults because it's really hard to maintain long-term relationships that are loving. It's hard to have long-term friendships. And it's incredibly hard to exist as a Christian community over a prolonged period of time. You know, many people, their average in any church community is two, three, four years. So every two or three or four years, they're in a church and then they're gone. I remember having someone who was displeased with our church and, and they were giving lists of things that they didn't like. And, and, you know, they probably were right. I was like, yeah, you're right. We're not good at that. But I remember just saying... How many churches have you gone to so far in your life? And they were like, what? I mean, just how many, you know? Is it five churches? Since you've been an adult, you know, not what your parents took you to, but as an adult, how many churches have you gone to? And this person was relatively young, and I think they said something like, something like five churches, and I said, so it looks to me like you're averaging a church every four years. And then the next question I had is, well, how many years do you want to live? You know, how many years do you think, you think you're going to live till you're 70 or 80? And again, they're like, what do you mean? Well, let's just guess you're going to live till you're 80. So let's do the math. If you go to a church every five years and you're going to live till you're 80, we, we did the math and it was like, you're going to go to something like 40 churches or 35 churches. And I said, do you really want to go to 35 churches in your life? Or do you want to just learn how to abide with people that you disagree with for more than three years? 
Do you want to just learn how to do that? And what I encourage them with is the next place you go, just figure that one out because no matter who you're with, you're going to come to this place. You're going to come to this place where you're either called or you're not called to be in community. Where you're called to just say, I'm committed to love some people around here. It's not just about my relationship with the pastor or one person who offended me, but there's this whole body of people and I'm committed to love someone here. I'm committed to to walk through a season with someone here. I'm committed to this. And the other question I've had for people, if literally in this city, you know, if the city of 50,000 people or 60,000 or 100,000 people, if you literally think there's not one church that you can go to that has the ability for you to abide with people, then I believe you are theologically mandated to form a new church. Because biblically, we know that Christ is forming community and advancing his church. So if there's no expression of the community of God within your city, and you literally can't go anywhere because of that, then you you need to do something. Start a Bible study. Do some. Just gather people in your home on a Friday, and you know, serve some soup and pray together with one another, and just do that over a regular time, and and do it through the conflict because you're going to do that, and what you're going to find is people are messy, and it's going to start out maybe nice, but then eventually there's going to be conflict, and it's not going to be easy, and you're going to want to run away, and the same criticisms that you had of others, people are going to have of you, and you're going to realize. That in the end, community is just community, and it's just messy, and and no matter how you do it, there's no utopia. There's no utopia. This whole myth of utopia that it's just going to be perfect, it's not, it's not. Now again, we should actively challenge churches that are doing immoral things, and you should flee places that are corrupt and abusive. But being in community is difficult, and and right now, in, in our capitalistic society, we, we want to make money and we want to sell things. And the way we sell things is we sell through discontent. We don't sell through happiness. We sell through discontentedness. How do things have traction? How do people click on posts? And, and what books do they read? And what They read the books and they go to the conferences and they click on the post and they, they buy the things... That, that reach these needs and these dissatisfactions, these, these problems. And so what do we go after? We go after discontentedness. And we often go after selfishness. Sometimes we even create a need. Uh, you know, good salespeople create a need. Uh, the guy who sells a vacuum, he'll come into your house. And have you ever seen this? They, there's these vacuums they sell that are also supposedly air purifiers. And they'll come in and they'll show you pictures of all the the weird bugs that are in your carpet and all the terrible things that are in the air. And they'll show these scary pictures and say, ah, you're breathing all this stuff in and this is terrible. So they create a need and they make you freak out, right? And then they say, but don't worry, uh, I can solve that need for you. And then they provide, you know, the answer, their, their vacuum that's also an air cleaner or whatever it is. If you've never had one of those presentations, good for you. But I, I remember having a, a guy in college, you know, said, hey, can I present this for you? Can I do this? And we're like, dude, we're not going to buy your vacuum, but if you need to do that, that's fine. And so they create a need and they try to meet that need. Well, we have in America, that's the way you do it. We say, you know, you're, you're too fat, buy our pills and you'll get skinnier. Or you're, 
you're ugly, buy our makeup and you'll, and you'll look more beautiful. And, you know, you need a bigger house to be content and you need a better car and you're not happy and we'll make you happier. But we're doing this in every way. You need to come to our conference because your church isn't right. And you as a pastor, you just if you just did this a little better, if you just preached a little better, if you just had better worship, if you just had better prayer, if you just had better administration, if you just had a better discipleship pathway, if you just, and we just basically sell discontentment. We just say, you know, you're just not right. If you're just better, if you were just better, it would be okay. And we know that more and more people are leaving the church and less people are involved in community. And so those people are going to want books and they're going to want to buy magazines and they're going to want to click on posts. And so we sell to that discontentment. We say, you know why you're discontented? Because the church isn't enough and the pastors aren't enough. And you're not getting the sermons you need and you're not getting the music you need and you're not getting the fellowship you need. And it's to satisfy that. We, I need someone to feed my dissatisfaction. I need someone to feed my church hate. I know those are strong words, and people say, well, I don't hate the church, but what's happening is we are feeding into that disgruntled church hate. We have these, the, uh, we have these famous bloggers, Christian bloggers, who their primary ministry is just to take the foundations of the churches they were raised in and write book and blog and, and uh, books and blogs and whatever they can that just basically talk about what's wrong with those foundations and just to tear those foundations. And even if the things they're saying are correct, it's, it's almost just basically complete deconstruction with almost no, well, now how do we come together and how do we move forward? They're basically just using the existing audience of Christians as a way to sell their products. I know these things sound a little strong, and, and this is kind of a big picture issue, but it's creating this, prof this largest, ever-increasing group of discontented, the church simply isn't enough, I just need more, mentality, church culture. I want to read from uh, my book. This is the second chapter, What is Wrong with the Church? What is wrong with the church literature is a growing genre in America. As more Christians leave traditional church communities, this trend will likely continue unabated. The demand of the disgruntled and the disconnected requires a supply of endless posts, conferences and experts explaining and justifying why people are no longer attending established churches. Nuanced discontent with the church is a luxury unique to those living in a relatively stable society. Christians who are facing tremendous religious persecution around the world seem to spend less time discussing how well the church is meeting their personal needs than their American counterparts. This is probably because priorities and values tend to shift when facing the possibility of martyrdom. People do not give the possibility of being beheaded as a reason for no longer attending church in America. The good news is we live in a land that allows us the religious freedom to complain. From a historical perspective, the modern American Christian seems a tad bit spoiled. We have churches aplenty, and a veritable cornucopia of denominational and stylistic options. 
We have more religious variety than any other time in human history. More music, literature, leadership, entertainment, and church options than ever before. We also occupy a country with tremendous freedom to pursue those options. America's religious freedom has not always been that free. In some eras of this great American religious experiment, individuals had little freedom to abandon or to reject the predominant religious practices of the community where they were born. Just Google Puritan and heretic to find out the less congenial ways North Americans have dealt with religious dissent. The simple truth is we have more freedom and choices than ever before, with few consequences for abandoning or changing our religious affiliations. Even so, we live in an age that perpetually champions the narrative that people are abandoning the church because the church is not doing enough for the spiritual needs of individuals. As greater numbers leave the church, many are uniting in their disparagement of the communities they no longer support. Pointing out the failures of organized religion has become a unifying force in justifying and defending the rejection of intentional Christian community. These what-is-wrong-with-the-church discussions almost always imply that if the church just did a better job, people would not be leaving the church. The problem with this blame-the-church narrative is that it ignores broader and more complex cultural trends. That's from chapter 2 of The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And what I go into is this issue. That although there are definitely wrong things with the church, there's a bigger issue happening in our culture. And that's that our culture is becoming more individualistic. If you look at organizations in general, people are not abiding in larger communities. Whether it's the Elks, the PTA, the Kiwanis, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, any of these larger organizations, people are less likely to define themselves in larger organizations. All these larger organization groups are declining in membership. In fact, they're having to reestablish their definition of what it means to be a community group. We're becoming more and more individualistic. Just as people are more reluctant to define themselves as community Christians, we're more reluctant to define ourselves by our city, civic pride to go to the city parade or to be involved in the civic activities and to define yourself as involved in the school that I'm a part of or to involve yourself in the local PTA or the local Elks Club or the local community service organization. More and more we define meaning and purpose and value based on what I can get out of life. If you look at the progression of church, it's really become that way. The boomer generation begin to define meaning and purpose in church this way. How does church meet my individual needs? How does it meet my felt needs? People who are raised in those cultures have moved it a step further. They were raised in cultures and churches that tried to structure the church around their felt needs, tried to give them the music they wanted, tried to give them the sermons they wanted. And what they found is those sermons and that music, it still wasn't enough. Their personal needs are too specific. And so now the next progression is this. And I see this in posts like, I saw Donald Miller do this a few years back. He said, you know, the reason I don't like church is I don't like singing. 
And I find more spiritual fulfillment in hanging out with my friends in nature and working in my job. See, for him, church is about self-fulfillment. It's about doing what meets my personal needs. It's about meeting with the people that fulfill my personal calling, my personal plans, and my personal desires. If community is about personal desires, desires, personal fulfillment, personal needs, then you won't be a part of a church. Because we are so focused on the individual, personal needs, personal satisfaction, we are pretty much left with a culture like this. We are assessing the church on what it's doing wrong and how it's hurting our personal needs. And the church really does hurt personal needs. And so we can find every example of pastors, of denominations, of churches, of organizations that harm the person. And we should point those things out. We should point out every structure, every system, every person who harms other people. We should ask for repentance and for correction. But sadly, because we become so individualistic, many of us just stop there. We just stop with the correction of what's wrong, but we don't take the next step. How do we, in light of that correction, still gather together as a community? Understanding that we were not just created to pursue individual needs or individualistic needs that I was created for a larger community. I was created for the community of God. I believe that when God created Adam in his image, male and female, God said it was not good for Adam to be alone. It is not good for humans to be alone. That to be fully human is to be in community. That we do not understand ourselves, or understand God in isolation. So God created community through the creation of Eve. And in splitting Adam in half, and in creating Adam and Eve, and in creating community, Adam could look at Eve and say, you are bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Together we are one. Together we are human. In community, I know who I am, and you know who you are and we can understand who God is. This is not only true in creation. This is true in the new creation through Christ Jesus. To fully understand what it means to be saved, to be a Christ follower, we cannot do that in isolation. For we are the body of Christ. To fully understand Christ, I can't do that in isolation. I must gather with his body so that I can be attached to the hands and the feet and the eyes and the mouth and the ears and the nose. I cannot understand the fullness of Christ in isolation. It is not good for me to be alone. I understand the fullness of who I am as a Christian in community, and I understand the fullness of God in community. Jesus expressed the fullness of God, not in isolation, but in community with the disciples. I understand the fullness of God, not in isolation, but in community as well. God's promise to Abraham was that he would make Abraham into a great people, into a family that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Christ went to the cross for the purpose of removing sins and allowing that promise. 
that promise to Abraham to be fulfilled in us. That our sins were not just forgiven so that we could go to heaven, but our sins were forgiven and relationship has been restored to, to, for, with God. Our relationship with God has been restored so that that promise to Abraham could be fulfilled through us. And what is that promise? It's not a promise of isolation. It's a promise of community. That we would be made into a people that would bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. This is the reason I wrote the book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. And I think that's one of the reasons the book is not very popular, because it's not about individual needs, and it's not about church hate. I realized that I titled it wrong, but I wanted to be honest. If I'd just written about what's wrong with the church, I could have sold more copies. If I just spent my time talking about what's wrong with mega church, or what's wrong with evangelicals, or what's wrong with pastors, or what's, if I just spent my time there, I could have had much more influence. But I don't want to make my living or my calling off of church hate and church discontent. I want to be someone that when I point out what's wrong in the world, I can also point to what God is doing in the world through you and through me, because God right now is forming a body. He's forming a community. Just as he formed community as he walked this earth, he's doing it today. He never stops. Right now, he is gathering Christians together to be an expression of his beautiful, perfect body. It's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to be in isolation. He's called us to come together to be expressions of his beauty, to be expressions of his kingdom, to be expressions of his purpose. It's not healthy to spend all our time tearing down others. We're called to always give examples of light and life and goodness. We're called to model the kingdom advancing. We're not called just to identify the darkness. We're called to shine the light of Christ. I appreciate you listening today. I know this was a little random here. I didn't write down many notes, but I hope you hear my heart. I'd love it if you'd pick up this book and read. It's explained in much more detail in the book. You can pick it up at Amazon. Uh, also, you can go to my website, fairlyspiritual.org. You can follow me on Twitter, at fairlyspiritual. Love you guys. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. This music here is done by my brother, Dan Bursch. Feel free to check out his music on iTunes. I'll see you next time. My dreams with you